Talking Giants presented by SeatGeek. I'm your host, Bobby Skinner, here with nobody. We're going to interview Nick Filato. We do this every single year. We go through five to six mid-round draft prospects. We've gotten a couple of Giants from this episode. Matt Parrott, Ellison Smith. So we talk about mid-rounds, so there's obviously pros and cons with all these guys. But, you know, we pick these guys for a reason. So Nick Filato does a great job over Big Blue Banter. Love getting to sit there and chat with him and just talk about mid- talk about mid-round prospects is my favorite thing to do. So, uh before we get into this episode, it was brought to you by DraftKings. Baseball fans, America's pastime is back. It's opening day today. Step up to the plate for uh, some season opener, season opener action with DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps. Right now, new customers can place a $5 uh, pregame money line bet and get $150 in bonus bets if their team wins. Talk about hitting it out of the park. Plus, everyone can get in on the Major League action with a no-sweat bet from DraftKings. Opt in, and if your first bet doesn't win, don't sweat it. You'll get a bonus bet back up to $10. So bet on Anthony Volpe and the Yankees. And bet on the, the Hurricanes and the, and the tourney. Let's go. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code WORLD. Sign up and use code WORLD. New customers can bet just $5 on any pregame money line and get $150 in bonus bets if their team wins. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook with code World minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. And here's Nick Filato. Come on, pay attention in there. Let's go. We got a beautiful day. Work. Play fast. Play fast. Whoa. Ah. All right. We now welcome on for our annual mid <clears throat> mid round draft preview. I had to clear my throat there a little bit. A little disappointed because the this is the fourth year we've done this. And last year was the first year where we didn't get a player that ended up on the Giants. But we'll give you a little slack, Nick Filato, because we you didn't have like a year to like kind of feel out this GM and see what he wants and how he attacks the draft. So now now the expectation is back that one of these five players we talk about ends up on the New York Giants. I got to tell you, Bobby, I would not have picked Josh Azudu and Cordell Flott to be the picks last year. And I got to say this too, man, we haven't been on a camera together since you lured me to your van with candy. So it's great to be back on camera with you and credit to you guys. Um, Dan had nine wins. I think you had eight and everyone was like, Dan Snyder, nine wins. Are you out of your mind? And guess what? The giants got nine wins and 10, if you want to include the playoffs. So um, you guys were hyped about the offense and the, and the scheme or not even just hyped about the offense, but just how much, how much they're being held back schematically and what Brian Dable and Mike Kafka could do. So you guys did a, a good job in the van with the candy. Thank you, fan. With the candy was fun. Big blue banter podcast. But uh, I'll say, man, you know, it was a scheme. It was a scheme upgrade, but it was also the schedule. Like the Giants swept the AFC South. 
right? They won every single one of those games. Now they need to actually get some divisional wins because you're not going to the playoffs consistently winning one game in the NFC East. So that has to change. Yeah, they got to get more explosive on offense. You know, that's obviously something so they don't have to play almost flawless football. You know, like you can't rely on them leading the NFL and turnover rate year in, year out. Um, so, yeah, the, the, but again, this is what these these type of podcasts are for because of the way you get to a good team is you hit on your mid-round picks. Like, obviously, you need to hit on first-rounders and second-rounders. Those are the most important picks. But those mid-round picks are the ones you need to hit on. So we're going to talk about some of those guys. Um, I don't think I even introduced you. This is Nick Filato of the Big Blue Banter podcast, by the way. Um, Thank we you. got so lost in the sauce to start. So we're going to go through five players and kind of going in order of importance. So who Luke Weipler, the center out of Ohio State. It's a hot name around, you know, the Giants land right now. It's a lot of I've seen, you know, outside sources mock that guy to the Giants. What made you want to bring, talk about uh, Luke Weipler today? Because the New York Giants don't have anybody at center right now. There's a lot of talk about Ben Bredesen being cross-trained there. You also have Shane Lemieux, who Joe Shane mentioned as a possible solution at center. That doesn't necessarily entice me, Bobby. And I don't love the idea of selecting a center at 25. I like John Michael Schmitz in first. Have you watched John Michael Schmitz yet, Bobby? Yeah, I haven't done like a full eval because I don't have the 2022, all 22, but on the senior bowl, he killed it. And I actually watched him in the middle of the season during the bye week. Okay. And I was like, okay, this is a crush. So yeah, I like Michael Schmitz, but I kind of agree with you, not at 25. Just not at 25. I don't know if he'd be there in the second round. And then Joe Tittman, I also like the kid from Wisconsin, big six foot six type of center, some technical flaws. But I wanted to bring up Weipler just because he, because he plays center, could be available maybe in the third round. Maybe, maybe it's a little bit too rich. We'll have to wait and see. And I just think he can handle a lot of different responsibilities. And he's technically sound and one of the best at utilizing his leverage to manipulate defenders. I believe he was a high school wrestler which is something that I appreciate. I think when people get to his half man, there were issues at times uh, sustaining blocks, but overall he frames his blocks well. And you just got to ask yourself, how does he perform on the front side, the back side of zone runs? Can he pull? He played at Ohio State. Ohio State ran a ton of zone concepts, but they also folded the center plenty on those zone concepts. So he had a lot of a lot of uh, experience pulling around the guard and then locating that next most dangerous man, whether that be chain defender on the edge, depending on what the tackle was doing or the linebacker. And I felt like he handled those responsibilities, I would say to a solid degree. So I think he can pull into space, even though he didn't do it all that often. You got to think, can he run duo? It's something the giants did a solid amount. Whenever Ohio state was playing odd front teams, tight front teams, really it kind of showed itself against Maryland and Indiana. I felt like they ran more duo and on the double team in the climb up to the second level, it's pretty good, right? Maintained a low center of gravity, got hip to hip, displaced the player. If he was the one to climb, he would climb up, locate that will. And I felt like it was a pretty solid movement skills in doing so. And he was also, I think in pass protection, I appreciated what he could do with his hands, how he handled counters, things of that nature. Didn't love his anchor. There were a couple reps throughout his tape, Bobby, where he was getting backed up a little bit. So that's one, I would say, demerit that I had with Luke Weipler. And he's not my number one center in this class, but we're talking about mid-round guys. And if you're talking about somewhere around three, he's certainly a player I would entertain. So uh, this is why I love having you on the podcast, because it makes me feel smart, because our notes basically align up the exact same, where the the best thing that pops out to me, like you said, is the hand usage in his feet. 
like in the run game, like his first two steps are always yep. clean. They're always consistent. And he uses his hands well, like, and he needs to, because he has short arms, like 31 and 31 and a half inch arms. Like it's, you really, when you watch these college prospects on the offensive line, especially on the interior, it's like, man, a lot of these guys just don't know how to use their hands. And we're going to talk about a guy that we both like that doesn't know how to use his hands. Weichler is not one of those. Like he shoots his hands out and he lands them consistently uh, with with good hand placement. And like you said, able to rework them. And then, like you said, some of the negatives in pass pro I had too is can struggle to keep the full man relationship when he kind of gets those bigger defense alignment in his chest, which is a worry because going from center in college to the NFL, you're facing guys like Dexter Lawrence. You're facing like, you know, not every team's running nose tackles a lot, but you're facing some guys that like can be 340 pounds and move pretty well too. Um, so those are some issues, uh, worries I have. But like you said, like working to the second level, athletic. He didn't get, like you said, he didn't have to pull a lot. But you would assume the way he works in zone, the way he gets to the second level in space, that he will be able to translate and do those things. And center seems to be a position where it's it's not necessarily about being brute force, but about work using technique and working leverage really well. And does he need strength? Absolutely. But he's three hundred three pounds at six three. He can add another ten pounds or so. And it's not like he's weak either. He's not, I wouldn't say he's a, a, a pile mover type of center, but he's very, as we said, technically sound. If, if you need him to, like again, a lot of outside zone, access the outside shoulder of a two-eye technique to the play side, he has the range and the ability to flip his hips to get and seal that two-eye technique from the play side of the play. He has that type of range. And that's what you're looking for with a, with a diverse running scheme that the Giants ran last year. The Giants ran a lot of power gap early on in the season, and they maintain that throughout the year, but they also have a lot of zone concepts. I mean, they ran a ton of zone read with Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, and I feel like a player like Weipler can fit in and, and run either of those schemes, and like we mentioned a little bit before, he can also execute duo blocks, even though he wasn't asked to do so too frequently while he was at Ohio State, and I love that you brought up his feet, too. I have it. Technical master with his hands and his feet was one of the top things that I had in his profile, so again, another day three type of selection and uh, a player who I think Giant fans would be happy with. Here was one negative that worried me a little bit. And this again, I, I went through three games of film, so you're watching it quickly and it feels like all at once. There were some times, and he gets good depth in pass protection, but there were some times where I thought like he wasn't great picking up the stun of the game or IDing it and would be late to it. And his feet would move over quickly and be able to recover on some of those. But that was that was just something that kind of stood out to me a few times uh, over the few games that I watched. I saw um, that. I saw that too. I, I think with one or two of them, because I saw it like five or six times on film. Um, I think with one or two of them, it was. Uh, I looked over at the guard and I was like, I think he expected that guard to be there because it would be like a two-on-one over to the other side, and I'm like, yeah. maybe he was expecting guard help, some sort of miscommunication. But for me, the anchor would be the bigger point of concern. I know Mozzie Smith. I don't know if you've watched him, the kid from Michigan, the defensive tackle, just absolutely walked him back into C.J. Stroud's lap. The uh, defensive lineman from Maryland, I, don't, I didn't get his name. He also did it. There was one against Penn State. I don't believe it was Mustafer. I think it was somebody else. Also kind of not underneath his pads and were able to walk him back. So he just needs a little bit more sand in the ass, Bob. Just a little bit more sand in the ass. And I feel like I'd feel very, very comfortable with it. And, he, and he's got, you know, he's at 303 pounds. He can add some weight. But, you you know, you mentioned Monzie Smith from Michigan. I was pretty impressed with him versus Georgia versus guys like Jalen Carter. Like, he wasn't going and just stonewalling these guys one-on-one, but he was, like you said, 
like a master working his hands on these guys, getting underneath their pads and keeping his feet moving where he won a lot of those reps. Now there was a couple times where Jalen Carter was able to move him, but Jalen Carter does that with damn near everybody did that with Osiris Torrance, who's mocked to go in the end of the first early second. So, um, those are the, you know, watching that Georgia game, I came away pretty damn impressed with him. He had a play, Bobby, against Georgia where Jalen Carter, he uses this hump move, which is basically he's going to just drive his shoulder into you and then try to use the other side of his body and just let, get underneath you and use leverage to just throw you off of him is something that would J.J. Watt has used. A lot of players have used it throughout their career, and he tried to use this hump move against Whitebler. And Whitebler just shifted his weight and his feet were so patient and just so controlled, just kind of just moving with the momentum of Jalen Carter. And then he just kind of sat down. It was one of the most impressive reps I saw from an offensive lineman. I think I might've tweeted it out if anybody wants to go and find it. And it was just handling Jalen Carter in that manner was wildly impressive. And I think Georgia, it was a solid game of his, but that was the highlight play to me. I'm not sure if you remember the exact play that I'm referring to, but it was, it was impressive. Yeah, I can't remember the exact play, but I just remember coming away from that Georgia film and being like, okay, this is, again, yeah. is Jalen Carter a better player than this guy? Obviously, but I thought he fared fairly well against him. Um, anything else on Weipler before we move on to the the sexy position of wide receiver? Mm, I love the sexy position of wide receiver. So Weipler, I'd be, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this, Jersey guy from Montevale, not Montville, but Montevale, and he went to the same high school as the McCourty twins. So just a little fun, little nugget. So he's a Patriot. That's uh, that's, that's confirmed <laughs> now. Um, and we know they can pick off and alignment a little earlier than people expect. Uh, but yeah, we got to get our Jersey. I think, I feel like Ohio state recruits New Jersey pretty well. Uh, um, they've been, they've been recruiting all of our top talent for so long and Jersey just couldn't retain it because no one wanted to go and play at Rutgers. And I just, I want Rutgers to be a real legitimate program that like New Jersey talent is staying in, but nobody seems to want to go there. They always go out of state. Big we'll tank. always have the Ray Rice, Brian Leonard year where it's like, they, they almost went to a national, <laughs> like they were close to going to a national championship ranked number two in the nation. I think Bobby, like do you have roots in Jersey, by the way, born in Jersey, but there you go. So I like all the New Jersey teams, obviously for professional sports, college sports, I lean Florida, but I root for Rutgers. Like I, you got to, you know, and you're not a bandwagon fan if you're rooting for Rutgers. So I, I, I root for Rutgers, but I'm um, a Gators fan, Miami. Canes. Miami. So okay, nice. Final four, final four this weekend. Pretty excited about that. Good luck, buddy. Uh, we're a basketball school now. All right. Next on the list. We got a wide receiver out of Tennessee, Cedric Tillman. I'm glad I knew we were going to talk wide receiver. I'm glad you went with someone that was over 5'10, even though I like Zay Flowers. I just, this whole offseason, I, I want to talk about some wide receivers with some size. And there are a few in this draft class, Quentin Johnston and players like that, but there aren't many who are as, who have the upside to be as complete as Cedric Tillman, which is weird to say because he's coming from Josh Heupel's offense, which is an air raid offense. And if you look at air raid wide receivers in the NFL body, there really aren't that many with successful careers. you got to go back to like 2009 when Michael Crabtree was drafted out of like Texas Tech. He ended up having a pretty successful career, but the Corey Coleman's of the world and players like that kind of fizzled out. But I believe in his traits. So that's what I'm looking at. Because Cedric Tillman, look, he ran like hitches and goes in college. He didn't run all that many routes. He aligned, I think, like 90% of the time on the right side. Now, the thing about Josh Heupel's offense is they use every inch of the field. You can have a, you can have a number one and two receiver who are both outside the numbers with uh, number one and two receiver on the other side, both outside the numbers. So it's so much to cover. Hennon Hooker was great for that scheme because he can make all the big boy NFL throws. 
But what I love most about Cedric Tillman is what he did against Georgia twice, what he did against Keely Ringo, what he did against Alabama. And I think just, and I haven't studied every wide receiver yet, Bobby, he might be the best wide receiver in this draft class at the catch point. If you need a 50-50 ball, if you need somebody to jump up and get the football away from, away from a, a defender who's similar in size even, he can go up and do that for you. There's not a or lot of if, wide receivers. Or if Hendon Hooker throws every curl route 10 feet ahead of every single curl route, I'd never had to see a guy leap for every single curl route thrown at him. I was like a play after play after play. And every single one of those, what did he do? Every, Stand in front of his frame, catch it. Like every single strong one. Hands, strong hands by Cedric Tillman. So I, I believe, I, I think I wrote it down right here. Georgia, he caught eight of seven balls for 68 yards in 2022. That was two games after he came back from a high ankle sprain. So people might not know Cedric Tillman's name because Jalen Hyatt caught five touchdowns against Alabama and Jalen Hyatt kind of took college football by storm. Jalen Hyatt was like the number three receiver heading into this season. And he was able to seize the day of N sevenfold style because Cedric Tillman suffered a high ankle sprain. And he came back Cedric Tillman later in the season to, to have, I think a solid game against Georgia, but if you go back to, 2021, he caught 10 of 12 passes for 200 yards and a touchdown. And not all of them were against Keely Ringo, but a couple of them were. And I felt like he did really well against Keely Ringo uh, in this past, this past mm -hmm. year in 2022. But he also had this crazy touchdown catch over uh, Darian Kendrick, who ended up being a draft pick by the, I think the Los Angeles Rams. So competing against those top, top com competition, like Georgia and Alabama, it does mean something to me, but I don't find him to be the fastest guy in the world. He might not be the overly explosive, but I think he's fluid enough. I want to get your opinion on that. I think he's fluid enough. And if you need a 50-50 ball, I think this is the type of X receiver that you can put on the backside of three by one sets. And he's going to be able to successfully move your offense down the field. If he didn't get hurt, Bobby, this year, I feel like more people would be discussing him because he had such a dominant 2021 campaign in the SEC. It's just he suffered that injury and then Jalen Hyatt took over. And now Jalen Hyatt is the face of Tennessee wide receivers and not Cedric Tillman. Yeah, I mean, he had a thousand yard season the year yep. before with 12 touchdowns that he brought in um like you said he's not the fastest guy in the world but at six foot three you don't necessarily need to be but i, I guess i think he's an overall like good route runner and he's going to be someone who can will make himself reliable for the quarterback and you mentioned guys coming out of the air raid offense well someone that was drafted out of this exact josh heupel offense was gabe davis with joe shane and, and brandon bean and with the buffalo bills which was the first time doing draft stuff with that offense. And like you said, like guys just lining up essentially on the sideline almost. And every, there wasn't, there was like one play, one or two plays in the games I watched where like he lined up on the slot. Like you said, every other time outside the numbers on the right side of the field. Um, so, but I think he's just going to be like a reliable, like target for whoever he gets drafted to. Um, you know, like he works routes out really well, breaking in and out of routes. Now he doesn't sink his hips and burst out of them to get a ton of separation, but he does a good job on the sideline. Like you work, he works to cornerbacks blind spots and is able to like fight back on those, on those curls or comeback routes, even though he can have to gear down more than, you know, your five foot 11 wide receivers. And he does kind of struggle to get off the line of scrimmage and stack corners. But in the quick game, like he's really physical getting off the line of scrimmage to get himself like like on slants, he gets really open because he is he I mean, he he punches off of that line of scrimmage kind of, you know, he's not AJ Brown type player, but the way AJ Brown gets off the line of scrimmage on the quick game, Tillman does similar things like that. So I don't I don't think this guy's going to be a star. And again, that's why we're doing a mid round draft video. But I think he's going to be someone who is reliable for his quarterback uh, for a few years. He's got the Mike Evans effect is what I call it. Out of every break, he's going to subtly push off. 
And he had a play against Keely Ringo. I believe it was 2022 where Ringo went to go press him. And he literally just jammed both hand jam right into Keely Ringo and just put Keely Ringo backwards. And I brought up Keely a bunch of times. The reason I'm bringing him up is because he was the star cornerback for the Georgia Bulldogs the last two seasons when they won the national championship. He's a redshirt sophomore from Scottsdale, Arizona, who will likely be a, I would say a top 60 pick. I don't love Keely Ringo uh, for the giants at 25. I like a lot of other cornerbacks. That's maybe a discussion for another day, but I still, um, I, I respect his upside as a linear athlete. He's just not the best with change of direction, but back to Cedric Tillman, one more, more, <laughs> another interesting note, bro, that I got on Cedric Tillman. He went to Bishop Gorman, which is the high school in Las Vegas for giant greats, Gray Rugamer and Nick Gates. So there we have that connection right there. I wish Nick Gates well over there with Washington, not too well for two of the games of the season, but we will miss Nick Gates. I talked with Gates and he's like, yeah, I'm excited about it. Not excited to have to face Dexter Lawrence twice a year. Um, excited about that either. But at though. the same time, it's like, okay, but you had Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne twice a year. So you get those two games off the schedule. Uh, and even, even like when he was playing his best football in 2020, it was like, yeah, the commanders or at the time, Washington football team gave him some issues with Allen and, and Payne. Those guys are as good as the defensive tackle duo as there is, but yeah, to client close it off with Tillman. And I didn't even bring this up, but you did like, he goes up and gets the ball. Like he's a leaper, had a 37 inch vertical at this with the six foot three height, always catches the ball away from his body, whether it's a slant, a dig, whatever, like he's not running the full route tree, but that's not because he's limited necessarily, but more so the scheme that they run. Um, and you wouldn't think you, I would have this note on him. He can kind of block. Like, he's a good blocker. Oh. And there was times Tennessee would actually do this weird thing where they would start out on the spread in these short yard of situations, and they'd literally line him up at tight end, and he held his own. So that type of stuff matters too, especially for a team that wants to run the ball and do some pin and pull stuff on the outside. So I, I was I was getting a little giddy watching him them you know, pull him in for a tight end for a couple of reps. That's the crazy thing about Josh Heupel's offense too. As much as they spread everything out, there were plays where Jalen Hyatt was an H back. And then they teams would have to go into the mesh point, read their run key, and then be a step late to guard Jalen Hyatt, who was running into the flat. I believe he had a touchdown. I can't remember the team. It might've been Alabama. Um, one of the five touchdowns they had against Alabama. And a couple more things too on, on Cedric Tillman. I felt like he had an understanding on how to run routes versus zone coverage where he, mm -hmm. you brought it up a little bit. He worked into blind spots, but it wasn't even just that. Like he found the void. I had a couple marked down. There was one where he sat in the voided area perfectly between three defenders. Cause one was over top first quarter, 14, 21, a third and two against Kentucky moved the sticks hit quarter one, three, 13, first and 10. He did the same thing. And then another one against ball state first quarter, nine 58. That was a, or 48. That was a first and 10 as well. So you're talking about, possibly having a guy who has mental process. And I bring that up because it's very important for the New York Giants. The New York Giants are adding a lot of these smaller slot type of wide receivers who just know where to be, how to find the voids in zone, how to create separation in man coverage. It's all about the process. It's all about being on the same page with Daniel Jones. But now we're talking about a bigger body guy who possibly possesses this. And this is a small sample size that I just listed three plays. But if he is a student of the game, a lot a Randy Moss, and he can really understand how to uncover against zone and can be trusted to be where he is supposed to be based on the coverage that the defense is running, then I think that's really going to entice a coaching staff like Mike Kafka and Brian Dayball. we know they need a little bit of size out there at wide receiver. Next on this list, out of UCLA, interior offensive lineman, John Gaines. So I looked at, he had the fastest shuttle time for offensive lineman at the combine, which I think is the, 
like the 40 time you could throw it for me, throw it away for offensive linemen. The 20 yard shuttle is the best way to see an offensive lineman's athleticism. And you're like, okay, does that, does, does that translate to the field? And the first play of tape I watched on him, my first thought is my God, this guy's feet are fast. Insanely fast. What game did you watch by the way? Uh, USC and Stanford. Okay. Yeah. His feet, they, they move. He has so much range. There's a lot to like about John Gaines. I'm surprised we're not hearing more about him, especially after the combine that he had. And good job just highlighting the fact that if you want to look at somebody who could possibly be a good offensive lineman in the future, just based off combine stats, the 20-yard shuttle, the short shuttle, has a pretty high hit rate with stuff like that. And, and this is a guy, again, UCLA, they run a lot of zone, but they also ran gaps. So you have plays of him pulling. I think I have it over here. He has 181 in 2022 gap blocking scheme with 229 zone blocking scheme reps. So you kind of have that ability at least or experience to do both. He also, man, did you see him run any skip pulls in the games that you watched? One. Okay. Yeah. And it kind of got muddied up too. Okay, I got muddied up because I, I watched him run a couple skip pulls and I was like, holy crap, it's like Josh Azudu. And that was something that I feel like because Josh Azudu ran so many skip pulls at mm-hmm. UNC. What I mean by skip pull is you come off the line of scrimmage and you keep your shoulders square to the line of scrimmage. It's not like a lot of the pulling that we saw this season with the New York Giants where they kind of step back, they turn, and then they locate and they curve right into the desired hole. I'm talking about keeping your shoulders square, and then that gives you a much more squared option and kind of eliminates a step for you to enter, say, the backside B gap, or it would be the front side B gap because you're coming from the backside. So that's what I mean by skip pull. I like a lot from an athletic ability standpoint. I think he is a, a good overall run blocker with a ton of range. And I think he has the ability and the capabilities to block power, to block gap. But I'll say this about John Gaines. Maybe this is one reason why we're not hearing him as much. It's because he's just got a lot of technical issues, man. Doesn't really know what he's doing with his hands. I feel like in pass protection, he just pops up. That's why I said he's very good as a run blocker. It's because pass protection, I don't want to say he's bad because I think he can be good. But it just wasn't really consistent on the tape that I saw from him. But damn, you want to talk about an explosive athlete who was wildly fluid as John Gaines? Yeah, I mean his hand, like the athleticism there, and that's why, like now that I've watched him and I watched him the first time today before recording this, I'm like, this could be a guy who turns into something down the road. And like, wow, look at this guy who's a really good guard in the NFL. How did this guy fall to the fourth or fifth round or wherever he ends up going? But the reason why he's not talked about to me is his hand usage, like you said, is a mess. Like, it's a real issue. They come in low. They come in very late and wide. And even when he does that, like, even when he's got his hands on you, he's not able to rework and adjust his hands within the rep. Um, And I just feel like everything stems from that. So he'll have balance issues at times. Why does he have balance issues? Because the defense alignment is almost driving what he's doing. And it's it's easy for the defense alignment for the hands. You know, there's times where he will lose some ground in pass pro, but I think it's mostly because I don't think he's very weak. Like, could he kick it out some core strength? But I think it's because he's just giving, like, he's making it easy for defense alignment at times. So he's got a lot of, lot of hand usage stuff that he needs to fix. Similar to Josh Zudu, I think his stuff is different, where Zudu was more like dipping his shoulder into guys and not bringing his hands. I think with Zudu, it was more in the run, with Gaines, it's probably more in pass pro. And like that's he just needs to really, really get with a coach. And this isn't something that's going to be fixed in a training camp. Get with a coach and like get his hands right because they are an issue. But he's got all the ability to be an awesome guard in the NFL. 
timing or center. He played center guard and tackle. He did. Yes, he did. It might have those stats here, but this is somebody who had how many, he had 18 pressures this last season and 25 in 2021 with a DTR as his quarterback. I like him, but I understand the reservations with this, but I just think it's a high upside. The thing I'll say about a Zudu in pass protection, because I think you're right. Once when, when he does fit his hands inside, when he does get you, it's vice grips. He has such a strong, he has such strong hands and such strong grip strength that he basically eliminates rushers. Once he gets him inside, it's just the consistency on which, when he lands those hands, that's not necessarily what I saw with Gaines. When Gaines's hands were on time, when they were placed appropriately, I felt like they were solid. But to me, Azudu was much more of a dominant. He has much more of a dominant factor when all the technical issues with his punch are aligned. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and that's like I have Gaines as like a fourth to fifth, and and Azudu was like a third round pick. I was like, okay, this is this is a guy that like could be picked in the third round. Um, so yeah, and I just. I think Azudu's issues were a little more like like you said with Gaines, like the dominant pass pro reps that I saw were against linebackers who aren't coming and getting leverage and punching, and most of them don't even know how to rush the passer for the most part. Even at the NFL level, you see them rush the passer, and they don't really have a great plan for it. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely see that too. But like you said, he's the athleticism in the run game. He's got great flexible hips to work in the zone game. Whether you're moving him. Uh, works to the second level re- uh, and in space really well. And we know that's valuable for what the Giants want to do in a, diver- a diverse run game. And one other reason why I wanted to bring up John Gaines, because we had a lot of negatives here, but what did you think of his feet in pass protection? So let's ignore his hands and the framing of the blocks. What did you think of his feet? I think they're solid. Um, you know, they're quick and they're rapid. Like, like that was the main thing I saw. And there were times where he kind of got off balance, but I don't think it was because of any footwork issues. I think it all really stems from maybe not having the best core strength in the world and the hand issues, because I thought his feet were like the quick rapid feet. Um, you know, like he's, he's got foot fire where he's just good. Like he's, he's not amazing mirroring the way it, like a guy like Azudu maybe was, but he's good at it. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I had in my notes, great feet in pass protection. And when I phrase it that way, and then I don't mention anything else in the strength section about his pass protection, that means I like his feet, but there are a lot of other issues with his ability to protect the passer. And that's kind of how I see this player, but still, I feel like this is a, a high upside swing early on day three, similar to a Josh Azudu in the sense that if you can develop this player, he will be a long time starter and you can do Bobby, you know, this probably better than anyone, man. If you have a player like Josh Azudu at 100% capacity and potential, you can run any type of scheme that you want. You can do so much with how you diversify your rushing attack. And I think John Gaines is similar in that manner. Yeah, and I'm, Azudu might be the guy I'm most excited to see what he looks like in camp next next year because, again, he is that league. Like he has tackle athleticism, you know? Yeah. Like he looked really good at tackle at UNC. Obviously, I don't want to play in tackle in the NFL, but. Like, and Azudu made actual growth in season. You know, mm. like I, I, we talked, we actually talked about him uh, during camp about how it's like, don't think this guy should play right away, but seven, eight games, if he gets some time to just work on himself and not having to worry about preparing for the opponent. And we saw the first two games of him, awful, god awful. And he came back and he wasn't perfect or anything, but it was like you saw real growth out of him 
uh, especially expect well more definitely in the pass pro. He wasn't even bad in the run the first couple games. He was just very bad at pass pro wise. He did have a the one Saquon Barkley touchdown run in week one. I, I said I wish that the Giants were playing a home game there because Josh Azudu buried that defender so deep that he would have been having breakfast with Je- Jimmy freaking Hoffa, man. Like that's I remember your did. line on that now. Now, Dude, now that like, you're saying it picked him up and just slam. It was, it was a very impressive play. And that's one of the reasons why I got so excited about Joshua Zudu. So I'm like, dude, if he can do that consistently, if this coaching staff, if Bobby Johnson can get him to unlock that at a consistent level, you're talking about a pro bowl type guard. It's just turning on the tape, man. It does get a little frustrating because you see plays like that. And then you just see wildly inconsistent tape that just makes you be like, just figure it out, man, because we need you, bro. <laughs> yeah. The next guy on the list I want to talk about is SeatGeek, and today's episode is sponsored by SeatGeek. Baseball is back, and to celebrate, SeatGeek is giving a special offer to our fans. Use code JOHNBOYPRESEASON for 15% off your order, whether you are a first-time buyer or not. If you don't know what SeatGeek is, they're a ticketing app that makes buying tickets super simple. But the preseason's over. It's opening day when you're listening to this podcast. You're in Arizona now, Nick. Are you going to get into any Diamondback games? I will get over to Diamondback games. I've been trying to go to Coyote games, but I always have conflicts. But guess what app I will use, Bobby, if I need tickets? SeatGeek. And you're going to use promo code JOHNBOY preseason. SeatGeek puts tickets from all over the web in one place to make buying simple and rates every ticket from 0 to 10 to make sure you're getting a good deal. Green means good. Red means bad. This code works on tickets to anything and does not matter how many times you've bought tickets using SeatGeek before. Don't wait. This offer expires at the end of the month. So open up your phone, add the code to your account and thank us later. Oh, so you need to do this now. Like go to your SeatGeek account and get like use code JOHNBOY preseason for 15% off tickets at SeatGeek. So we've got the hookup. Go put it on your phone. We only got a couple more days in the month. And usually their offers for first time buyers. This is for anybody. So JOHNBOY preseason for 15% off. All right. Hey, thank you, SeatGeek. You'll be glad you did. Next on this list, we've been talking offense the entire podcast. It's time to go defense. Who do you want to talk about next? Let's go with the player that I feel like we're both a little bit higher on, and that is Illinois defensive back, safety, nickel, apex, whatever you really want to define him as a jack of all trades, kind of like a Julian Love, only he didn't play outside cornerback. Jartavis Quan Martin, one of the best athletes down at the combine. He absolutely blew up the combine, had over an 11 foot broad jump, 44 inch vert. A 44 inch vertical. What's the record for? Is it what like 44 and a half inch? I got to look that look, up. Right I now. can look that up when you're while you're talking, but he had a 147 10 yard split. And I got to tell you, man, all of that translated to the film. This isn't a Jordan Willis type of situation where you're like, I don't know how he showed up to the combine. It says it like you watch his tape and you see an elite athlete out there. And then you go over and you look at his teammate, 3131, Devon Witherspoon, who I absolutely love. Those guys love to hit. But one of the things I like about Martin, and I'll get into it, uh, there are man coverage issues with with Martin, but it's not because of the athletic ability. I think it's just because he has that Marcus Peters effect. What I mean by that is he wants to undercut everything. He is looking for a pick six on every single play. And it led to big plays against his opponents, which is unfortunate, but that's a coachable and B, I kind of like that mentality. I want to go get her. I want an alpha out there who's going to try to intercept every pass and has the typical athletic traits to do so. He had one play though, where I'm talking, sitting here praising his 44 inch vertical against Purdue, where um, <laughs> one of my favorite guys, one of my draft crushes, we almost went over him, but I feel like he's being discussed a lot more. Charlie Jones, beat him on a deep touchdown and Martin tried to undercut it and he jumped and he just missed it. So that was a negative on him, but he had plenty of plays throughout his tape where 
He did not maintain body presence on horizontal crossing routes and in the back of the end zone. So those are some of my knocks on him, but I think all the athletic ability Bobby is there to play man coverage. And another thing that I know you're going to love, I know your listeners are going to love. I love it. This guy is a run support player. You need someone to fill. He's not Landon Collins. He doesn't have that type of size, but man, he is a sure tackler. He had a very low missed tackle rate. And I absolutely appreciate that about a safety. Record for vertical jump is 45 inches. So by Chris Conley and Donald Washington. Um, so the man coverage stuff. So like you said, this guy has played basically every position um, there is. I think he even played like outside corner, like in 18 and 19 for Illinois. Or maybe it was just Nick. I can't remember. I, did, I didn't watch that film, but just reading his bio. Um, and man coverage. To me, good wide receivers consistently kill him. At, at, at this stem but versus tight ends which i think is where if he's playing man coverage that's what he's going to be lining up on like i think he's fairly solid and he's very physical um like he likes to you know be at that five yard you know uh you know clothesline and try and clothesline the wide receiver or tight end that he's facing but he does have he does have a hard time of anticipating the routes of man coverage and will will get killed like that but so on it, where do you think like his main position ends up being? Because I think he's like does a fairly good job at deep safety, uh, despite you know not playing there a ton. Um, like he's patient on the two man routes from single high. Um, you know, I think his hip flip uh from the deep center field spot is pretty good and he, he has good bursts. Where where do you see his home being? Because I kind of have a hard time figuring that out. I don't think it matters all that much because I feel like in this position list type of defense, you're going to find a role similar to what happened with Julian Love last year in Wink Martindale's defense. But I think if you had to kind of like pin him into one spot, it would be a starting safety next to Xavier McKinney. But I think if Darnay Holmes struggles, here's a guy who could possibly play your slot for you, which is wildly important position, especially for a team that runs as much sub package as the New York Giants. I mean, the Giants led the league substantial margin last year in quarter personnel. So adding more athletic defensive backs who, and this is the important part, are excellent run defenders. This is somebody who had four missed tackles last year. In 2021, he had three. In 2020, he had five. He had only a 10% missed tackle rate. There are a lot of safeties that are in this class who are being talked about a lot higher than Jertavis Martin, Quan Martin, whatever you want to call him, who had like 18% missed tackles. There's linebackers who have much higher, like Drew Sanders is a guy who has a you know, yeah. missed tackle rate. Drew Sanders, he's a linebacker, but he's, you know, yeah, he's played true. edge. I like Drew Sanders. I do. But you want to talk about somebody who struggles to shed blocks and stuff. It's, it's Drew Sanders, but you want somebody who can rush the passer and uh, get after the quarterback and be a blitzer and wink Martindale's scheme. It's, it's Drew freaking Sanders. So he's an interesting player. But again, with the man coverage issues, I think a lot of it stems from, I think a lot of it's correctable because it's not a, an athletic issue at all. Like he is a very good athlete out there. And I do think a lot of the big plays that he gave up, it was him being like, Oh, I'm going to undercut this and take it to the house. And then boom, it's like, you can't do that when you're the last line of defense, you can say that's a processing issue. I don't know if it's a processing issue as much as it is a confidence. I don't even think an issue is the right word, but that he just has a lot of confidence in himself. And I think there's variance to that. Cause I think he's going to come away with some of those, interceptions at times at the NFL and at the college level. I believe he had what he had three interceptions this past year. It's seven total interceptions and 18 PBUs in his career with 10 PBUs in 2022 when he was being used literally everywhere. Like he was middle yeah. field closed apex, all of it, dude. Yeah. I mean, he had three tackles for loss, three interceptions, 10 prospect up 64 tackles. Like he, he kind of was, 
obviously Julian Love at Notre Dame was just a corner, and it was a damn good corner too, to be honest. But in the NFL, kind of in that role where it's not a need that's talked about a lot, but safety is <laughs> with the loss of Julian Love, it, it is a need. Like I know Pinnock, they like him. Belton, they draft in the fourth round, but it, it is a need. Um, and this is a guy who I think Wink, like you said, would like. Like his when he jams guy, he could like I've seen I've seen him put tight ends just on their ass the way he can get physical and jam them. Uh I think he even did it versus Davis Allen down the preseason or the senior bowl where he just he just put him on his ass. Um so I don't know if I like him as much in the nickel spot as you, but I kind of do like him in the role they used Dane Belton before Xavier McKinney got hurt, where it's like okay. kind of split out. Uh, and playing man coverage on tight ends, which I thought Dane Belton's best role was at that. Like, I, I can see that being the role for him, at least to start off while maybe, you know, he can work on things. And like you said, it's not athletic ability that stops him from playing nickel corner. So while, while, while he works on things like that. So I wanted to actually ask, I wanted to ask you this at the top of the show, but I'll get into it now. So Jotavis Martin will be 23 at the draft. So let's get into some of what Joe Shane did from a philosophical standpoint last year. There were a lot of guys that he drafted that were young. He targeted young players, and he mm. also went for outliers, which is interesting to me because he went with Robinson on a zero percentile catch rate. Cordell Flott, I think a second percentile weight. Like guys who you typically don't bank on, and he did with a top 50 pick and what a top 85 pick or whatever Cordell Flott ended up being. Do you think now that Joe Shane has a year under his belt as general manager, he has his scouts here? It's not... Gettleman scouts. He wasn't scouting the draft class with a different team. I love the Buffalo Bills. He's with the Giants. Do you think he'll be a little bit more comfortable with the evaluations of the area scouts and just the entire process and organization heading into the 2023 draft than he was last year, which will maybe lead to him taking, say, maybe a 23-year-old rather than a 21-year-old? Or do you think that's just going to be his MO where they're just going to bank on these younger players? I think it's just a, a fascinating conversation. Yeah, that's actually funny because last year that was a huge trend. It was that and guys that they had like personal visits with. So this year it's like anyone who comes in for a top 30 visit or, or meeting at the combine, it's like we're making sure to get due diligence on. And we are spending time like if you've got to watch two players, you know, one player the next 30 minutes, pick the guy that's younger because that was an obvious trend until like the last two picks of DJ Davidson and, and Darian Beavers, you know, so you're not going to count those as part of the trend. But I also do remember 2020 offseason when Joe Judge came. It's like these guys sign guys who are healthy and there's connections to the coaching staff. Every single free agent that was that way. The draft was, uh, you know, all guys who had never had injury histories. And then the next offseason, it was all big signings, guys with big injury histories who had no relation to the coach. So this this year will tell the real story because, like you said, he has all. But we are definitely leaning into younger guys who they've had like personal meetings with. I think, I think two interesting things that we can note about what Joe Shane <laughs> for the YouTube audience, God bless you, Bobby. <laughs> they don't get to see that. I yeah, always okay. make sure I mute my microphone for it. Uh, okay. I, I love the fact that you are uh, respectful and do that, but Joe Shane on offense, what is his main goal? His main goal is to, create explosive plays. And I feel like bringing in guys like Paris Campbell and Darren Wall, that's going to assist you. But I think that's going to carry into the draft. I don't think he's done uh, fixing the 32nd ranked explosive play rate that the Giants were last year. And then in the defense, 
I think it's going to be fine cornerbacks, but the biggest liability last year, the critical vulnerability of the New York Giants was easily their inability to stop the run. They ranked 27th last year. Any power gap concept, they just couldn't figure out how to fit it. You get Bobby Okereke, you add Nacho. I love those moves, but I don't think he's done doing that either. So I'm looking at, you know, even like we don't have any defensive linemen on this list, but I really struggled. I was like, I kind of want to put a defensive lineman on this list because I, I think the Giants might take another kick at that can because they don't want to find themselves in a situation where it's like, hey, Henry Mondu, play 300 snaps for us. Ryder Anderson, play 190 snaps for us. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I like Nacho, but it's like he is—he's a good run defender who has like no pass rush ability at all. He's—he's kind of like the Jihad Ward of defensive tackles. Um, yeah, I mean, it's huge, and I, I plan a draft speech every year uh, for the draft day podcast, so I'll kind of look at it. But I, I'm going to talk about how like don't get so caught up in like they have this need of corner, this need like let's try and get good players, and if that means a good defensive tackle in the second round then they should do it because teams change and they change quick, a lot quicker than you think. So yeah, we are, this will be the first year where we look at 10 defensive tackles on our draft preview pod, because in previous years, it's always been like, you got Dex, Leo, Dalvin, BJ Hill, uh, Austin Johnson, you know, you're like five deep in defensive tackle. So we've always paired defensive tackle with another position and we'll just look at four. This is the first year where we're looking at like 10 guys. So defense, defensive tackle and linebacker. If they pick like a guy like Jack Campbell, like I, I, I don't think Jack's gonna fall to the second round pick. Um, but like I love Jack Campbell. Like, and if he's there at 57, I don't think there's many guys that are gonna be on the board that I'd be willing to take over someone like that. You know, Okarik is a you know, Okarik shouldn't have stopped them from drafting a linebacker if they identify one they love and think it's gonna be great. And Jack Campbell would be that linebacker. And this is a nice segue into the last player if you're done with Let's do it. Martin. Dorian Williams is our last player. He's the two lane linebacker, but I want to start by saying this, Bobby, you brought up Jack Campbell. I have kind of a man crush on Jack Campbell. I don't know how many linebackers you've watched yet in this draft class, but from the ones that I have seen, there aren't really many true linebackers. A lot of them are just kind of safeties, dude. I hate it. I hate the way linebackers in college are turning into. (laughs) They're all athletes who are just kind of running around, see ball, get ball type of players. Jack Campbell, that's a linebacker. That is somebody who can stack and shed. That is somebody who can play off contact. That is somebody who knows how to leverage his responsibilities, knows how to win the cat and mouse game against running backs. I really respect his game. And if he was the pick for the Giants in the second round, you wouldn't hear any qualms from me. But onto the two-lane linebacker, Dorian Williams. The reason why I mentioned Dorian Williams, this is a team captain, a three-year starter, high-character individual. He helped... Tulane, the Green Wave, turn around a 2-10 and 10 program in 2021, which he was a part of, to be fair, to a 12-2 and two team this past season. And he's just really long and a great athlete. He's shade under 6'1", 228 pounds, a little bit light, huge hands, 10 and 1 fourth inches, ran a 4 4 10-yard split. That's 89th percentile, 94th percentile for that 40. And then he also had a 120, so 10-foot broad jump. That's the 68th percentile. But it's the length that I really like about this player, 92nd percentile, almost 34 inch arms. Fabio Carrique, another guy who has very, very long arms. I like linebackers with long arms because it helps their tackle radius, but it also closes those throwing windows at the second level. And I think Dorian Williams is also somebody who can go forward. He wasn't used overly frequently in terms of pressures and stuff like that, but he had five sacks this past year, nine and a half sacks uh, uh, this, this uh, throughout his entire career, 22 pressures, uh, in, in 2022. So that's pretty solid. So that role expanded for him in 2022, but I 
I like him as a possible day three option. And I just want to mention one more thing. Oh, wait, first you talk about Dorian Williams. Then I want to mention one of his teammates that really caught my eye as well. All right. I'll talk about him. Then you could talk about Tajay Spears. It's not Tajay Spears. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, um, so I don't love him. Uh, and the main reason is going to be, he just can't stack and shed. And like, he is not a guy who can get off blocks. Like the next, the next great stack and shed rep from him will be his first. Um, not that bad, but, but it is, it is an issue. And for a player who plays like that, you know, he's six, one, like you said, he has great length. Like he has longer arms than some offensive alignment. It's only six foot one. Um, and he is a good ta- uh, tackler who has good bursts and can get to the ball. And he like, he's a, like, I really like the way he tackles. But for a guy who struggles with that, I want that type of player to be playing one step ahead. And while I think he fits in the run well and he has a good IQ for the game, I don't see him as a guy who's playing one step ahead in the run and even in coverage, even though he has all the coverage ability in the world. Like, he almost seemed like he was picked on at times where it's like, all right, we're going to just throw right behind him because he's, you know, he he would spot drop, have his eyes on the quarterback, and – He'd make it like a jump at it, and it seemed like he was always just kind of a second late to close the window and never really saw what was developing behind him and just eyes on the QB. And a lot of that, that's a hard thing to judge a guy on because college coaching is so much different for linebackers than it is in the NFL where you're not matching as much. Um, but for me, a guy that is his size, only 228 pounds, struggles getting off blocks, I want to see him like being the most instinctive and intellectual linebacker I've seen. I'm right there with you. That's why this is more of a, a day three type of option. My one contention would be, I don't know of many linebackers in this class who stack and shit. They all suck. At they it. none do. It's a, it's so aggravating. Like it I said, is. I was going to watch a thousand linebackers after I watched Jalen Smith for the final time versus the Eagles. And it's like, <laughs> it's like I'm watching Jalen Smith. All like none of these guys actually play linebacker. None of them play linebacker, Bobby, but this is one who's a good athlete. There are, I would say some really good reps of him dropping and covering the three. Uh, on the uh, back or to the front side of a three by one set, carrying the guy vertical and getting his hand, getting PBUs. I appreciate yes. that about him. I'm right there with you though. Like the, the understanding of route concepts behind him in zone coverage seem to be an issue for me. I love the fact that he has special teams experience. I don't think you're getting around the fact that he can't stack and shed. I don't know if the giants draft this guy, he's going to be penciled in as a starter. If Darian Beavers comes back fully healthy, I think Darian Beavers is going to have a real a real uh, chance to be the starter next to Bobby Okereke. And then you have, if the Giants were to draft Dorian Williams, Dorian Williams and Micah McFadden can be sub-package guys who can rush the passer just because I feel like they both have the ability to come forward and blitz. Mainly with Dorian Williams, it's because of his athletic ability, his length, and he has a really good, I would say, acceleration. And he can go from like uh, zero to, to 60 in a pretty quick manner about him. But I, I am right there with you in terms of uh, the the stack of shed in the physical. Well, and and we're you, this is the mid-round prospect pod. So obviously a lot of these guys are gonna have flaws, but you mentioned like the athletic profile, the length, the ability to tackle. And like when he does is like in some more man, like, hey, this is the guy you're covering or carry this, he does do well. So it's it's not because not of ability, but for a guy like him, special teams, like special teams will get him a roster spot while he can learn and, and grow in the position. Like a guy who can tackle the way he can can run the way he can is like, you know, Thomas, as Thomas, guys like Thomas McGahee's dream to have on, on their coverage units. So um, I think I, I hate bringing up special teams whenever talking about a draft player. Uh, but like, he is a guy that will be able to find a role doing that to start. 
brings back a lot of uh, memories, bad memories of the Joe Judge era. Gary Brightwell. It's like, yeah, this guy's great special teamer. They're like, how do you know that? Like, he doesn't return kicks. Like, how much kickoff coverage are you watching at the University of Arizona when people were telling me that? I think they just, I think they just liked Gary Brightwell. He had a really, um, I think he had a really unique backstory to him, if I'm not mistaken. So I think yeah. he's probably one of the six round pick, but you chose him over Trey Smith, who starting for a Super Bowl champion. Kansas and City. I know your boy Dan Schneider loved him as much as I did. Khalil Herbert went like three picks yes. after that. I was a big Khalil Herbert fan. I thought he was like a fourth bat round back. Yeah, Khalil Herbert. So I want to bring up this other name from Tulane, and I didn't know nothing about it, but it seems like everybody who's covering the draft doesn't really know much about him. And I actually did a profile on him over at Giants Country. All these players I have profiles on over at Giants Country. If you want to check it out, go to the top of my Twitter. It's my pinned tweet link tree there. They're it's great. Nick. I recommend. Thanks, buddy. It's Nick Anderson, though, bud. This is a, a five foot 10, 225 pound linebacker. So you can already know why this is a player who is not getting invited to the combine, not getting invited to the senior bowl. But when watching Dorian Williams, I couldn't help but see number one running around, flying around, being much more physical, very violent at the tackle point, just, just kind of being a damn good linebacker. It's just his size. And he's not, I wouldn't say he's an elite athlete, but I think he has sufficient athletic ability to be an NFL linebacker. But I have throughout my notes, man, just violent, violent, violent tackler, lays the boom, sure, low wrap-up type of tackler, drives his feet into contact, has the ability to penetrate, understands how to time snaps, has pass rushing moves. It's just his size. But I just wanted to kind of like give him a shout out because Nick Anderson is a player who is not going to get drafted because of that size, but he might be a UDFA. And if a team brings him in and they're just like, wow, this Nick Anderson guy might be a Tom and Fox who makes the team and plays a couple hundred snaps for you or is a core special teams asset like a Grant Stewart was for the Buccaneers. I just want to be like Mr. Relevant. Yeah, Mr. Relvin, exactly. This guy is he he has talent. It's just no one's gonna give him a chance with that undersized. Well, I just wrote down his name and I'm a I love doing UDFA content as much as anybody. We do pods on on the offense and the defensive guys. Uh so I'm gonna write him down. And Malcolm Rodriguez was a guy from the I think I he was Malcolm. what five ten, five eleven out of Oklahoma State last year, and he was starting yeah. games for the Detroit Lions this he's year. He's not so. quite He's not quite Malcolm. Malcolm to me was like, I, I couldn't figure it out. It's like NFL teams sometimes need to get out of their own way. Like if you turn on Oklahoma state's defensive film last year, he was everywhere. He was making tackles all mm-hmm. over the place. I'm like, this guy is just going to be a good football player. Like don't overthink it. And the NFL overthought it. And now Detroit benefits from it. Congratulations to the lions. Nick, you mentioned giants country and your pin tweet. We'll put all your links in the stuff. Where can people hear big? Oh, where, where can people hear you? <laughs> they can hear they can hear me on Big Blue Banter, which is a podcast myself and CBS's Dan Schneier. Do you can get that anywhere? Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, wherever. We're always posting about it. Please head on over to our YouTube. It's Big Blue Banter. We have NY Big Blue Banter on Instagram. You can find us basically anywhere. We don't have a Twitter handle though, so it's just myself is just at Nick Filato. I don't have anything cool added to it. It's just N I C K F A. Oh, I'm jealous. I have to use the underscore because there's some guy with name at Bobby Skinner doesn't have any tweets. He has one follower who's a Giants fan, but that Giants fan doesn't follow me. So that person followed that Bobby Skinner one, like thinking it was me, and they don't ever get to see my tweets. He's probably like Bobby Skinner sucks. This guy. I don't know. I don't get the hype at all. <laughs> like I don't know what my uncle was telling me about. This guy is not good coverage. <laughs> no, no, yeah. Bobby Skinner's a pretty generic name, but yeah, you can find all my content just at Nick Filato. And then there's Giants Countries where my draft profile stuff and I write for Big Blue View 
which is also a, a Twitter account. If you guys want to follow that, just check out all my written content there. And they have a YouTube channel that I'm usually posting on as well. All right, Nick, uh, appreciate you as always. And I mean, we'll see each other here and there, but until next year's mid round draft day three, man, like with the heat is on, like we are like, we are watching the list of these players to make sure one ends up being a giant. So hopefully we continue the streak. If you got the, if you got to pick one of the five, who would, who would it be? If I had to pick one of the five, I think it would be Weipler. What about you? I think Gaines because of where he would go. Like, okay. I just love his athletic ability, and I think he's got the ability to be a great guard. So Gaines, Weipler is the best, but Gaines is the one I want the most out of like where he's probably projected to go. So It's, it's so funny. Narrowing this list down to five, Bobby, was difficult because I could sit here and talk to you about like 150 prospects, and it would be a lot of fun. <laughs> no, that's why these five are very special every single year. So thanks again, Nick. Take care. All right, thanks again, Nick Filato, for coming on the pod. And this is your last pod before draft month. Draft month kicks off. We do position previews for every single one. Obviously, the film breakdowns are on the John Boy Media Football channel. We have a mock draft coming out Monday. Welcome to draft month. This Giants team is going to add 10 new players in the draft, some UDFAs. So this is an important month to stick around. So we appreciate you guys. See ya. Enjoy your weekend because it's draft month this is the beginning of draft month so enjoy your weekend until then let's go big blue